For centuries, searchers have dug deep into the depths of this small island. Each hunt brings back only fragments of the supposed treasure that lies beneath the earth. Hundreds of people have sunk millions of dollars into the search. Is there a treasure chest waiting for them at the end of the hunt, filled with riches beyond their wildest dreams? Or will the search turn up nothing more than fool's gold? This week's episode is The Oak Island Treasure. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. I uh, have watched almost the whole first season of this History Channel show now. Okay. I was like, did you do it before we decided on it or after? I've watched a few episodes years ago, and then I revisited it because I didn't remember some of it. And now I'm almost finished with the first season. So, Do you think you'll continue on? I think so. I have some opinions about the show. The and, internet has a lot of opinions on the show. And some questions about buried treasure in general. <laughs> I don't there, I don't think I understand buried treasure. Like what do you mean? Well, if you bury something, don't you have the intention to go back and retrieve it? I think so, and I I would assume we only hear about a select few of treasure of buried treasures because for the most part, like if you buried something and you went back and got it, no one else would find it. So these are all. Anytime we hear about a buried treasure, it's like a loser. It's somebody that never went. Not a loser. Maybe yeah. they were held up somewhere. That's what because I told Tommy last night. I was like, I don't think I understand how buried treasure works, and he was like, Well, equate it to if you robbed a bank. And then you rent and hid all your cash until things like calmed down. And then you went back and got it. And I'm like, but nobody ever goes back and gets it. Yeah. So what happened? I mean, I guess because of the time that this supposedly happened, where the treasures of whatever theory you want to go with of how it got to the island, like things were more dangerous and it wasn't as easy. But also my biggest question slash issue with the show or the whole concept in general and we'll get to this in a lot of detail who the hell is going to go to the links to create the type of contraptions and dig to the depths of where these things are supposedly if i'm going to bury a treasure six feet max is that's (laughs) i'm done after that what is that? Is that Norm Macdonald that has a whole bit about someone's buried in a shallow grave? He's like, of course it's shallow. No one wants to dig that much. <laughs> it's a lot. It's very hard it's to dig. Too much. And they're saying that like back in the Aztec Empire era that people were digging like 300 feet into the ground and creating all these tunnels and booby traps and fake beaches. And I'm like, who has time for that? You lived till you were like 30 back then. Like you, what, you're going to die before you finish burying your treasure. They didn't have anything else to do. That's why I always wonder about the pyramids. Like, how did they even do that? I'm like, they literally, well, the people that built it didn't have a choice. They were sort of forced to do it. But there wasn't really much. I mean, you know, how people spent their days back then. I guess if you were a pirate, it's not like he had a nine to five and this was a side hustle. Like, all he did 
with pirate things and then go and but put, if you spend it. if you spend so much time burying it, which I have to imagine the time it took to go to the links of where they claim these things are buried, that would take weeks, if not months. I and then wondered- you leave, and then you never come back for it. Well, you can't do it alone. So there was a. a, a- staff a crew i guess yes, the pirates crew. crew i don't think they were called staffs but yeah you had helpers and so probably also not by choice but then you leave the island wouldn't they just go back and steal it exactly like they all know i don't know or by the time you're finished burying it hasn't enough time passed where you can just take it with you wherever you're, you're going? gonna dig it up <laughs> yeah i don't i just don't understand why you bury it in the first place it's i'm probably sound, I, I probably sound like an idiot because uh my brain is all, all i've been watching is Shit's creek and oak island so there's <laughs> not a lot happening in my brain but it just all i've been watching is diners drive-ins and dives in oak island so oh. oak island's drive-ins and dives <laughs> yeah i'm watching oak island creek is essentially <laughs> Shit's island is what i'm watching island this way <laughs> so i don't i don't know so that's my that's my question about just treasure in general my issue with the show is the narrator yeah that's what everyone on the internet and i watched the like the first three episodes and then i just went through each season and watched the last episode of each season because i figured if there's gonna be some reveal it would be in the last episode so i just watched the season finale of each season and Every and that's what everyone online is like. Could it be oh, the greatest it's, treasure of all? It's exhausting. It's it's, so it's much. and when you're binging it, you're like, this fucking guy, this guy, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's it's very. You think he over- talks like that at home? <laughs> I hope. Could it be meatloaf and mashed potatoes again tonight in the kitchen? I swear to God, Gene, if you don't stop that, I will divorce you. <laughs> it's so over the top. The show. Yeah. The series on the History Channel is now in its seventh season. Mm-hmm. It's very, very produced. It's very overproduced. I wouldn't say it's as bad as Ghost Hunters, just because the cast <laughs> themselves isn't as bad as the people on Ghost They're Hunters. Way more likable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the cut tos of like the the people like the giving each other the looks when something is said that might be of interest and just the dramatic music and then a commercial break right before something's going to be revealed and you come back and you have to rewatch like a minute of what just happened before they get to it that kind of stuff wears me out well initially i was like hey we're gonna watch this history channel show and paris was like okay i'll watch it with you and i turned it on and he was like oh it's like one of these shows (laughs) Tommy Tommy has no interest in it. He didn't want to watch it when I watched it years ago and he didn't want to watch it now. <laughs> it's um but I at first I was kind of like put off by it, but the more I've watched it, the more I've kind of actually grown to like the characters, specifically mm-hmm. one of the brothers, Rick. I think mm-hmm. he's there's something very endearing about him that he really these men and we'll get to who these people are. with every fiber of their being are convinced that there is buried treasure on this island. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I agree. You look into their eyes, especially Rick, who is, I feel like is, uh, he's pure in his quest, you know what I mean? Like, he does want treasure, but it's like a big kid, you know? Yeah, he is a big kid, yeah. But on one hand, on the one hand, I was like, oh, they're 
so dedicated to this and they've spent all this time and all this money because they're so sure. But then my my brain switched and I was like, or are they have do they have to be so sure because they've sunk so much time and money into it? That's a good question. I had a similar thought of if you find something like this, like in, if you're the type of person and you've spent the better part of your life dumping all of your money, resources, time, energy into searching for something like this, if you find it, sure, that initial moment when you find it is pure elation. But then what? Yeah. Like, like, would you almost be a bit disappointed afterwards? Because isn't it kind of the thrill of the chase? And like, then if you it's like solving the game in an improv scene. Like yeah. if you and it's if you, like, well, cut the show. If you fix the You're problem, like, then it. it's yeah, then it's like or not even the show, but like their lives. Like then, yeah. you know, I mean, it seems like the search is what drives them. So then if you take that out, like, then what do they do with their time anymore? Also, logistically, know. they just own this land and then they dig all the gold out and they're like, no, no, what do we do? I guess you turn into a park or something. Yeah. I mean, they also own that tour company that uh, they own a lot of stuff on on the island. They are, uh, Tommy did walk through at one point and he, I, he was like, uh, how much uh, have these guys spent doing this? I was like, millions. <laughs> He's like, yeah, they seem like they a bunch say. of rich dudes with nothing better to do. They have nothing but money and time. Well, what we're talking about is Oak Island and the treasure that is allegedly buried beneath the surface of this this island in Nova Scotia. It's uh, it's gorgeous, according to this History Channel series. I would totally go. Oh, I, I would love, I would love to. to. Yeah, and and there's tours and stuff that you you can take. So we could. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather, and let's get into it. Oak Island is a 140 acre privately owned island off the coast of Nova Scotia, Canada. It sits among 360 other small islands in the area known as the Mahone Bay. For centuries, treasure hunters have been interested in the potential of the island, mainly because of an area of the land known as the Money Pit. Aptly named. Money Pit with Tom Hanks is one of my top ten favorite movies. It's classic, man. It's such a good one. It's so good. As if the exciting possibilities of the infamous Money Pit weren't enough to draw adventure seekers to the lush tree-lined island, there is also a literal X that marks the spot known as Nolan's Cross. The impressive cross-shaped landmark is made up of a series of boulders, reaching nine feet tall, seemingly strategically placed around the island to form a large cross-shaped clue. And shout out to the person for noticing, because if I saw rocks, I would not be like, I should look and see if this is a formation. I would just be like, it's a rock. They're huge rocks. And when you when they show like aerial shots of it, it they do line up if you were to draw a line and form a cross that I Perfect. Mean, it stretches hundreds of feet. There's like six boulders spaced out. Yeah, I. but all these people, that's a good point, though. You wouldn't think to look for that because you're, that's not where your brain is. Everyone that has moved to the island is, is searching for this treasure. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things like your brain just makes these connections. Are these really clues or do you want to see that so bad that then you kind of fill in the gaps and you see stuff where there's really nothing? 
And it becomes that on the show, too, where they're yeah. searching for stuff. And they'll be like, this tree is planted here and this is here. And it's like, maybe the acorn just fell there. Yeah, exactly. Between 1650 to 1730, the activity of pirates was at an all-time high. At the time, Nova Scotia was largely uninhabited, making places like Oak Island an attractive locale for pirates sailing from colonial Boston to stop and bury their loot. Many believe the island is rich with buried gold, jewels, and more. The first inklings that precious treasure might be buried on the island dates back to 1795, when Daniel McGinnis, a teenage boy living on Nova Scotia, was the first to discover what came to be known as the Money Pit. Daniel was out one night with some friends when they noticed some flashing lights coming from an island off in the distance. The boys took a small boat and rowed to Oak Island to explore. When they arrived and began searching the grounds, they noticed an area of the earth that had a large circular depression where several oak trees had clearly been removed, according to all that's interesting. Well, this, love would be, it, man. this would be exciting. Yeah, you just go. Let's just go over the, what are those lights? I don't know, let's just go. It's like the Goonies. Yeah, it totally is like the Goonies, yeah. They need to remake, or not remake, but they need to make a movie about 1795, a teenager and all of his cool friends and their hunt for the treasure. That would be fun. A period piece, but it's mm-hmm. uh, like the 80s. Yes, yes. It's the style it's like of an 70- 80s movie, but it's, it's happening back then. That would be super fun. And he has like a crush on one of the girls, It's you know, like on the oh, Goonies. Oh, yeah, yeah. So good. <laughs> As Daniel and his companions began to dig, they didn't find mere dirt. Instead, they began to encounter wooden planks that had been buried by man. The planks seemed to have been built as a type of platform and were located every 10 feet as far down as 30 feet. The boys believed they had unearthed something spectacular, but their limitations prevented them from digging any further. Years later, they were finally able to return with fellow neighbors and better equipment to help them dig beyond the oak platforms. I mean, that's something, you know, they're not just finding dirt and just keep going down. That's especially if it's every 10 feet. Exactly. It's purposeful. And it's teenage boys. That's a lot of digging. That's hard to do. <laughs> Again, what are you doing in 1795? Like, yeah, you're, nothing. Mean, this is your yeah. life. This is how you entertain yourself. Pretty much. Beyond the planks, a layer of charcoal was found at 40 feet, putty at 50 feet. And what appeared to be man-made mats woven from coconut fiber were discovered at a depth of 60 feet. The most surprising discovery, however, was made at 90 feet below the surface. Here, a stone engraved with strange hieroglyphics was found. The code was translated as reading, 40 feet below, 2 million pounds are buried. Since this was around the time of the end of the pirate's era, the islanders believed that all of these obstacles and clues hit a trove of pirate's gold. I mean, oh, yeah. this would be as exciting to find now. But oh, back yeah. then, you're like, this is it. We've made it. It's like pirates were legitimately, oh, they yeah. had just been in existence. Like now, if you hear about a pirate, it's kind of not, I mean. It's there's, a fabled uh, tale, but it's like, exactly. no, these they were real things. They yeah, they just 100%. happened. They still exist, just in a different form. Correct, yes. More of like the Tom Hanks yes. movie. Yes. What was that? Captain? Terminal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's stuck on that ship, and the pirates won't let him leave, and he's just stuck there forever. Well, however, some believe the code was translated incorrectly and was actually more complex. They believe the true translation of the stone gave secret instructions on how to stop the island's infamous flood traps. In 1919, the stone mysteriously disappeared, and no rubbings or photos were kept, leaving the legend to be carried on in handed-down stories. 
Well, here's the first issue with this. Mm -hmm. Like any tale, at some point, you just have to make a leap of faith and believe it because Mm -hmm. you don't have scientific proof. And that's where Christy kind of checks out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Reddit alleges that they've seen photos of the stone, but then other people say those aren't real. And there's like, you know, again, it starts to get into what camp you fall in of, I think that, you know, the stone never existed. Well, I think it existed and it said this. Well, I think that this is a a new picture of it or whatever. Yeah. And it happened in 1795. The stories that have been told until now I mean, like any tale that gets watered down, change. It's like a hundred-year-long game of telephone. Mm-hmm. It's all everybody's interpretation too, and what they little bit tinged with what they wished it said. Exactly. The McGinnis, Vaughn, and Smith families were the initial searchers who dug deeper and deeper into the earth. However, they were never able to dig further than 108 feet, despite their numerous attempts. At this depth, the space would become flooded with water bringing their quest to a halt. This appeared to be an intentionally created flood trap meant to keep people out and away from whatever was buried down there. If this was true, the flooding mechanism could have been easily achieved as the island only rises to a height of 36 feet above sea level. So you're not really fighting gravity here. If you dig the right kind of holes, you could just suck the seawater in. Yeah, and from what I've read about the uh, topography of this area... There's a lot of what they it's anhydrite, which is a type of like limestone and other things that create just like natural caverns and sinkholes throughout the island, Mm. which is a lot of people think that these supposed flood traps are actually just the makeup of the island. It's just doing it on its own. Yeah, it's just yeah, because of the the soil and everything and they just naturally create it, which to me makes sense. More sense than someone digging 300 feet down and connecting it out to the ocean and somehow back Suction. then having the knowledge of how to make all of this work. That yeah, that's basically part I can't Isaac wrap my head Yeah, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. The searchers tried to pump the water out of the pit but failed. The following year, they attempted to circumvent the issue by digging another 100-foot pit parallel to the original money pit. From there, they dug a tunnel between the two pits. However, this idea also proved to be unsuccessful, as the new pit and tunnel both flooded with seawater, forcing the treasure hunters to abandon their search for good. In 1897, at a depth of 153 feet, searchers William Chapel and Frederick Blair were drilling down into the ground when they discovered what they believed to be a seven-foot-tall wooden vault buried within the money pit, according to the History Channel's The Curse of Oak Island. While drilling, they also struck what appeared to be a metal casing around parts of the vault. The men believed that the iron plate had been placed there to protect the vault and prevent anyone from gaining access to it. When they show it in the History Channel, I mean, they've illustrated it as if it were like a shipping crate with metal and almost it looked like rock around it yeah the that's one thing i really like about the history channel show is the illustrations because Mm -hmm. it it really helps you visualize when there's no type of pictures or anything available like how this all would have worked especially when they when they show like we'll get to like the diving down into 10x and all of that like i Mm -hmm. thought i found all those illustrations very helpful but yeah basically they drilled down And then when they would pull the drill back up, there would be little pieces of wood within it. 
So mm-hmm. they assumed they had hit some type of like chest or wooden vault or something like that. And then when they hit the, the metal that it had been placed there as a type of like insulation so nobody could steal it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Numerous excavation attempts were made to reach and unearth both the wooden vault and metal plate. Each attempt failed, however, as the drilled holes would inevitably fill with water and flood. In 1899, the men finally abandoned the project. Hunters now refer to this area as the Chapel Vault. During his attempts to unearth the vault, Frederick Blair also became intent on discovering how the island's supposed booby trap flooding mechanism worked. Blair concocted a plan where he would pour red dye into the money pit to test his theory that the flood traps were powered by ocean water from Smith's Cove, another area of the island. Once the dye went in, his theory was proven true, as the area to the west of the money pit around Smith's Cove ran red with dye. But then, two other beachfront areas on the south shore of the island turned red as well. Blair concluded that the flooding booby traps protecting the money pit were sourced by ocean water from at least three places. Centuries later, this test would once again be administered by brothers Marty and Rick Lagina. Interestingly, their test did not produce the same results, and no dye seeped into the surrounding ocean. Yeah, it's fascinating that it's two different results, but I don't know, maybe, like you said, the sinkholes, maybe the, where the water was leaking out before, it's shifted in a couple decades. There's a lot of uh, scientific research on the internet that explains, like, how all of this would happen. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's it's tedious to read through all of it, and we'll post links to a lot of the articles in the show notes because some of it is just easier to, like, read and digest and try and, and rehash. But basically, yeah, what you said, it's all just the topography and makeup of the land and, and how things have eroded and just over time all the sinkholes and natural form caverns just kind of lead to each other. Well, and also that people just been digging on it for yeah. th- 300 years or whatever, or 200 some odd years that, you know, whatever originally was or whatever even was, you know, 200 years ago or 100 years ago, people screwed it up because exactly. they're, they're just shoving like massive industrial drilling machines yeah. into the ground. Tons. Yeah, it's going to it's going to me- mess off, with the they're setting off dynamite. Shit's blowing up yes. everywhere. They're <laughs> drilling all over the place. Like, who's to say what's man made and what was what Mm-mm. was actually there and what was man-made by searchers versus possible pirates or uh, Freemasons or whoever they think left it there. So, yeah, it's the island has been kind of pillaged, much like yeah, pirates well, did. It's true. It's almost like, you know, in a crime scene when you show up and you're like, well, clearly this happened. It's like, you know, the the perpetrator went out the window and it's like, no, a cat walked through the blood right. and made it. So, you know, so you are going off of this evidence that you're finding but the evidence has necessarily been tampered with over decades and centuries. You're also possibly trying to make the evidence fit the crime instead of seeing where the evidence leads you. Mm-hmm. Shoehorning it. Yeah. In 1936, searcher Gilbert Hedden wrote a letter detailing his finds on the island. He described a large wooden U-shaped structure discovered on Smith's Cove that was carved with Roman numerals. Later in 1971, Dan Blankenship, an Oak Island enthusiast and treasure hunter that dedicated more than 50 years of his life to unearthing the secrets of the island, also discovered a similarly described structure that current enthusiasts believe is the same structure discovered by Hedden. This structure is believed to be the drains that bring seawater 
into the money pit to flood the treasure. Yeah, it's, it looks man-made. I mean, when you look at the yeah, wood that's down I there. I think it's man-made. I don't think it was man-made for those purposes. Mm. I think to take the time to do something like that and all you're doing is protecting treasure, if that's your intention, you must know we're never coming back for this or it's going to be years before we can come back for it. Because why else would you take the time an effort to like go to such extremes to protect something. That's true. I mean, unless it really is whatever at the time that the the original depositors, which they use in the show, if it's something that they considered so holy and important that they didn't want anybody, like if it's the Holy Grail or the something that Jesus touched or you know Ark something the that covenant. they yeah yeah something that they consider to be nobody needs to get this ever, then maybe they would go to those links. Well, that and it's makes not more money. Sense. That makes you know, more sense, yeah. If they if never like, wanted to actually mm-hmm. have anyone, if it was just like they were burying it like you would bury a body. Or they encountered the incarnate of evil Satan himself and they somehow used their Freemasonry or Knights Templar wizardry to get him into a box and they stuck him down there of like, nobody needs to ever get a hold mm-hmm. of this. And now we're digging him up. <laughs> yeah, they're going to unearth a... Some sort of type of sinister curse, which it's the Hellmouth. They feel the 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 people that search for this treasure do feel like the island is cursed, and that the closer you get, the island will do something to prevent you from finding what you truly seek. It's because so, the devil's in that box. Maybe the devil's down below. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a badass heavy metal album I should record, or something that the church ladies tell you to keep your hands <laughs> out of your pants. <laughs> You're going to go blind. The devil's down below. Devil's down below. Keep your hands up here. In 1965, the hunt for the buried treasure got so intense that a causeway was built between the island to the mainland. This facilitated movement of various pieces of heavy digging machinery. The digging got serious, with searchers creating several deep holes, some of which filled with water. These conditions were dangerous, but the men searching the island were determined to dig deep into the dirt for the treasure, no matter the cost. I think kind of before this, they were only able to get so far. But once they built that road, I mean, you could just sit there and, you know, something's gas powered. It can dig all day versus people needing to take breaks. You get deeper and deeper and hit things you did not expect to hit. For sure. If you're doing all this by hand, you're severely limited. And I mean, it's an island. So by definition Mm -hmm. of an island, it's surrounded by water. Without a road like that, yeah, you're... There's only so far you can go. This mm-hmm. took it to the next level when they got that road in. Get it? Next level? Because it's down below. Oh. Got it. On August 17th, 1965, searchers Robert E. Rustle Sr., Robert K. Rustle Jr., Syria Hiltz, and Carl Grazier were working diligently on their most recent dig site. The Rustles were working on a shaft they had built along the beach. The shaft apparently struck something beneath the earth because a poisonous gas began to seep out. The gas overtook Robert Sr., causing him to lose consciousness and fall down into the shaft. Upon seeing his father fall, Robert Jr. jumped in after him in an effort to save his life. Syria Hiltz and Carl Grazier, who were digging nearby, also jumped in to help. But the gas overtook all the men, and tragically, they all perished. The men who lost their lives on Oak Island that day in the so-called Oak Island Tragedy have since been commemorated with a memorial stone placed on the location that bears their names. And these were the 
third, fourth, fifth, and sixth people to die on the island. So two people had died before them. Yes, and a boiler exploded. Yes. Causing a man to die. And then another man, Maynard Riser, which is a pretty sweet ass name, mm-hmm. also fell down into a shaft that was being dug. Moral of the story, shafts are dangerous. Seriously. Well, back then, too, you know, now we watch the the show on the History Channel. And before anybody goes into anything, they have like 53 different yeah. harnesses and straps and everything. And there's like a helmet and a camera and a microphone. Back then, it was like, wrap a rope around me. I'm going in. <laughs> yeah. And they would just. And it's I mean, you had to. They had nothing else. They didn't know any better. But it was very dangerous. But mm-hmm. that's part of that's allegedly the curse, though, that this it needs to claim a seventh victim. So far, it hasn't happened. Not well. Let's I hope, hope it, doesn't. it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. If that's what causes yeah. the treasure to be found, I hope it's never found. Seriously, Dan Blankenship began his excavations on the island in earnest in the 1970s. He and his family moved to Oak Island and took up residence after he became enamored with an article published in Reader's Digest about the possibility of treasure on the island. The article told of generations of failed searchers and the trove of riches buried beneath the ground. It's an understanding wife. Honey, and, we're moving. And kid. He said. Yeah. He says in the, he has since passed, but in the first few seasons of the History Channel show, he's, he's very much alive in there. And he says, he read the article, he handed it to his wife and said, read this. And she was like, yeah. And he goes, there's treasure there. And I'm gonna find it, and then, he, and then he moved them all there, and yeah. there's and their kid too, and they their little house on there. In the first few seasons, they interact with them, and when they they take him back to the little uh, their kind of home base the to show him room. that video, he's like in his 90s, and he lights up like a Christmas yeah. tree, and he's like, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. It's just you could tell this is a person who I mean that you've died doing what you love, you know. He's I mean he lived on that island until he died, and he yeah. would not have lived anywhere else. And that's why I find the show endearing and mm-hmm. can kind of deal with the dramatics of the production and the narrator is because you really do see, I mean, he's 90 something on the show and you see him light up like he to his bones believes there is buried treasure on this island. And that's just like very endearing. Mm-hmm. And there's something very sweet and special that you would I mean, maybe also kind of crazy that you move your whole family to this island and <laughs> it's like passionate. dedicate. It's passionate, passionate. passionate. Pa- there's a fine line between passionate and just uh, obsessed obsession, I suppose. True. But it is, it is a, it's very sweet, and it, and to see all of them kind of working together towards the same yes. goal, and they take it so seriously that that's why I've kind of become like, uh, I've started binging the show, and and I really do enjoy it. I'm that team being Lagina, said, I also sure. know that uh, seven seasons, if there had been a huge find, probably wouldn't have seven seasons. Worth <laughs> of- <laughs> it would have, would have been in the news by now. Yeah. Like I told Tommy, I was like, if this was the first season, I would be a lot more interested in like, oh my gosh, what if the next episode they find something? But going into it, knowing there's seven seasons, yeah. I have to question like what keeps happening. Like not much must be happening. Yeah. The, like I said, I just went through and watched all the finales. And I mean, stuff happens every season. Yeah. But- and it's, but it, obviously it keeps going. Like we, yeah. if you said it would be on the cover of the newspaper if it was like, they finally dug it out. But the, or maybe the thing they that, have found it and they haven't told anyone. They sh- That's another like, theory. 
turn the cameras off. <laughs> but I do love in the first season when they meet up with Dan Blankenship, who, if you think about it, this guy's been at it since the 70s. The show was in like 2014, I guess, whenever it started. 2014. I mean, and it, seeing seeing him see the type of equipment that's now being used, mm-hmm. you know, that was like, it must look like Star Trek, you know, to yeah. him. That's like the, if in the 70s, he thought if only we had a big ass thing that would pump water out or pump air in and pump water out. And now the Lagina brothers are like, yeah, we have a truck that does that. It's right yeah. here. We'll we'll bring it. You yeah. know, this guy is like it's there. His dream come true, truly. So watching it, watching him watch them is makes it it's very heartwarming. It is. And to their credit, although. Marty Lagina can be a bit of a a bit of a butt, but the <laughs> a bit of a blowhard, yeah. But to their credit, that I mean, Dan's their mentor, mm-hmm. and they respect and and cherish his opinions and the time they get to spend with him so much that they could have easily gone in and been like, "Sorry, buddy, this this is our deal now. We're taking mm-hmm. over." But instead, they like everyone is working together. Which, like you said, is is very heartwarming. They're like D- cute little kids. They're like, we gotta go show Dan. We just got this footage. Let's go get him. They really are. There, there was an episode the other night where Rick, on one of the boulders at Nolan's Cross, he was like, "I've always wanted to do this," and he just climbed on top of it and just stood on top of it, like looking around. And he's like, "Somewhere there's treasure buried." Here. I'm Aww. like, he really is. I mean, because he read that article when he was like. 11 12 years old like he really Mm -hmm. is at the core of it still that young kid Mm -hmm. just hoping and wishing for something magical like this to be true and you see we should all be so lucky to grow up to be what we want to (laughs) be right exactly well mine was a ballerina so that's never going to (laughs) happen i wanted to be a trapeze artist probably also that ship's probably also (laughs) still considering yesterday ella referred to mommy's big tummy oh come on kid Maybe I should lay off the carbs because I've been going a little hard in quarantine. I'm back on it today, though. Snack attack. You got to, though. I mean, at times like this. Well, and our no neighbors shame. keep leaving fresh baked bread and homemade cheesecakes and cupcakes on our front porch. So what am I supposed to do? It's rude not to eat those. I think so. I mean, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner. So I'm like, oh, so did Ella. Person. <laughs> so good. It was I thought someone posted it on Facebook and I thought, all I want. So I had some leftovers and I thought, all I want is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I was sitting at the table just going, oh, oh, and Paris was like, is it good? And I was like, it's just, you know, when you want something and then it's in your mouth or whatever you're experiencing and it's exactly what you yep. pictured. Oh, man, it was good. Crunchy bread, got the uh, Jif peanut butter. I was like, I just want shitty, just run of the mill peanut butter. Oh, it was great. Oh, next time. Uh, well, can you have goldfish? I cannot, but I can Damn. have Doritos. Okay. Doritos would be a, a good substitute. The crunchy. Anytime the I have peanut butter and jelly, I, I crave gold. Well, I crave goldfish 90% anyway. of the day. But uh, especially with that. Also, don't be afraid to put some Doritos on that sandwich. Inside of it, mm-hmm, man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now I regret not doing it, but there's always tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> Sir, hey, there's always tonight. That's I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> like, what time is it? <laughs> have another time. sandwich. It's only, yeah. Do it, do it. Do you Mona. like uh, grape jelly, strawberry? What's your jam? Uh, oh, my jam. Thank I, you. I have blackberry preserves, which I like for my breakfast toast. And then I have strawberry jelly for the sandwich. I used to be a grape, and about a couple years ago, I switched to strawberry. Nice. What about you? I don't eat a ton of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Tommy likes them a lot. His is grape. Okay. We also, uh, you probably can't have these because they're not gluten-free, but Uncrustables, 
We're oh, big, I've heard we're a big Uncrustables family. Man, I love that because it's like already done. It's already it's a done. Grab and go. Yep. You keep them in the freezer. You just let them thaw, and then once they're thawed, you can eat them for up to twenty four hours. Damn. Give them to Ella. She likes to tear them apart and then use a spoon and just eat the jelly. She's not concerned. That- She's an innovator, is what you're yeah. saying. Yes. But uh, I, I like strawberry or grape. I, I like mm-hmm. I like all jellies. I'll Me too. Jelly. That was a d- dilemma when I was stocking up for the quarantine. I was like, okay, well, I should get like peanut butter and jelly. I was like, oh, God, there's so many. I like blackberry preserves, blackberry jam. I like, oh, mar- you know, marmalade, apple stuff. I mean, I'll, I, love, I yeah. love a good jam or jelly. Tommy's been real into making biscuits every morning. Oh, yeah. And then... <laughs> Yeah, which again is why mommy's big tummy is <laughs> is uh, coming out. But he, he uh, we like to put grape jelly and different jams mm. on that. This turned into a show about jellies and jams. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I'm a jam fan. A jam fan all the way. Well, Dan brought equipment which allowed him to dig 235 feet into the ground and open up what he called a back door into the money pit. He dug this shaft 180 feet northwest of the original money pit and called it 10X. His hope was that by running it parallel with the money pit, he could reach the treasure from the side. This is good thinking. I like this strategy. This is actually smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. While digging 10X, Dan and his crew hit a large cavity in the earth around 235 feet. Convinced that the cavity was man-made and likely housing buried treasure, Dan decided to have his crew lower him down. The expedition was going okay, until suddenly, at 90 feet, one of the man-made walls of the shaft began to cave in, nearly trapping Dan inside forever. Luckily, Dan's son Dave was able to pull him out just in time. You know, these, this shaft was pretty well made because he was using railroad cars, so it's yeah. like steel walls. But then, I mean, just the shifting of the, you know, there's it's a squishy island. It just d- dented one of the walls in yep. so bad. Although that's a man that believes in a shaft that he's willing to climb down into it. <laughs> Send me down. Wow. That is, yeah. His shaft was, he's, he was confident in his shaft like so many men are. You know, it's like the guy that invented the Ferris wheel. There, Nobody would go on it. And he's like, I'll put my family on it. <laughs> Not myself. My family. No, I th- he may have gone. I don't know. He's like, someone's got to operate it. That's yeah. true. I mean, you know, Kids, you climb on. Come that on, is baby. a, uh, that or a roll. Anybody to first test out like a, a roller coaster or anything like that. You've got to have some cojones or yes, some believe. clitoris, which is <laughs> something I just made up. <laughs> clitoris. <laughs> oh, that was real dumb. Uh, <laughs> but if you if you watch the History Channel show, I mean, this 10X thing is still there in mm-hmm. the focus of season one. It is just like if you took a giant uh, metal cylinder and shoved it in the ground mm-hmm. 235 feet down and then climbed down it and that's in amazing fact, he did it in like the 70s yes again it, it's 27 inches in diameter is the pipe part of it since then they have uh drilled a larger opening on top of it but the originally it was just that thing into the ground 27 inches Mm-mm, that makes no. me feel uncomfortable it's like you'd be like a tube in the thing yes. at the bank you'd be the little container Watching the uh, diver in season in in season one go down there gave me flashbacks to Ben McDaniel and made me yes. very anxious. I was sweaty watching it because the and those guys love it. I mean, they it's a thrill for them to do that kind of stuff. But I'm like, 
I can't imagine something that would make me have a panic attack more than just like being trapped in a tube. Yeah, trapped like uh, like you're being buried alive in a watery grave. Yeah, exactly. So you're you're in your own coffin. Yes, I would just panic and, and just drown. Yeah. Well, like all the other attempts to dig into the ground, 10X was also flooded with water. However, although 10X ended up flooded, it was unlike other shafts on the island, which were filled with fresh water. Strangely, both the money pit and 10X were flooded with salt water. This led treasure hunters to believe that the money pit was intentionally flooded by the treasure's owners with an ocean water trap, and 10X was dug in a way that got between the money pit and the source of the floodwaters. This is a scene, I believe it's in the first episode, maybe, where Rick Lagina grabs a fistful of this water that they're sucking out of it and sticks. He goes, Dan, uh, Dan Blankenship goes, it's salt water, not fresh water, you know. And Rick goes, oh, really? And Dan goes, yeah, taste a little bit. And instead of just sticking his hand in, he, ta- he scoops a fistful of water and goes. <laughs> and Dan's mm. like, well, I didn't tell you to drink a gallon of it. <laughs> gross but it's like this sludge water that's been in the middle of the island but yeah i think that's kind of their argument was well if it was really just a sinkhole it would be the natural groundwater versus sucking in from the ocean but he he took a slurp of it to be sure yeah well you have to (laughs) or try to to float in it those are the only ways you're gonna know if it's salt water (laughs) he's getting in that dumpster float tank Well, next, Blankenship lowered a camera into the shaft to see what was in the cavern. On the grainy video, it appears that a tool resembling a pickaxe is lying on the sandy floor. The video also shows what looks like a post or beam protruding from the floor of the cavern. The outline of what could be a box or chest is also present, and even a dead body. So this, this video is very grainy, very murky. There's not a lot of visibility Back then, of course, the cameras aren't as high-powered as they are now. So, and they show the video a ton on on the History Channel show. It does look like what he thinks he's seeing is is really there. It's not an unreasonable interpretation of the video. No, not at all. Not at all. While the idea of a man-made cavern, housing buried treasure, and the body of someone who possibly met their fate searching for it is certainly intriguing, the website The Oak Island Compendium claims that there is a much more logical explanation. When Blankenship first began to drill 10X, his original notes show the cavern they discovered was at 230 to 233 feet. Excited at the possibility that they had located a literal treasure trove, Dan began blasting the surrounding area in an attempt to explode the treasure chest within and send gold coins and jewels spraying from the hole. Sadly, this did not happen. Was this the Wiley Coyote method? What did you <laughs> think? It's the seventies, Heather. It's the seventies. <laughs> That's what He's I'm like, saying. Give me some of that Acme dynamite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's what? the wild, wild west out there. So who knows what's what's real and what's not at this point? People are just <laughs> drilling and blowing shit up all over the you place. Blew a literal hole in the island, <laughs> and later on they're like, "There's a cavern here." It's like, do you think that the dynamite maybe made yeah, the cavern? Possibly, <laughs> maybe. The more likely scenario for the larger cavern that 10X houses today from 217 to 233 feet, is simply the result of damp blankenship, blasting, and then bailing out the broken rock from the bottom of the cavity. The tools he saw were most likely tools dropped by his own crew into the hole, and other shapes merely shadows, and one's mind making something out of nothing. Was that pareidolia? What, did we learn yeah, that word on the show? Yeah, pareidolia, yep. Mm-hmm. So you just see a shape and you think... 
Instead of like, oh, maybe that's a shadow, you're like, it's a human body. It looks like a human body, yeah, because you, you want there to be something mysterious and exciting down there. Mm-hmm. So if you're in that mindset, you're going to see things that kind of fill in the gaps like that. And your brain wants to put the puzzle together. Yes. By the 1990s, Blankenship had run out of money and was soliciting new investors who could help fund his continuing quest for the treasure. He was not successful. But it seemed he was successful in his dig. In December of 2003, Dan Blankenship, who along with the man named David Tobias, owned a controlling interest of 78% of the island. They announced they had made a new discovery. Those who follow Oak Island updates waited for the big news. But it never came. The two men suddenly stopped work after that failed announcement, and the ownership of the island changed hands. Liquidators were appointed by the local court to offload the island at its thin market value. Although there were calls from preservation groups to have the country of Canada or the province of Nova Scotia buy the land, neither sovereignty put in a bid. Sounds to me like they went a little bankrupt. Yeah. Which is a shame. Do you think the big announcement was just to try and get people interested in possible donations and and investors? Yeah, I think, I mean, that stands to reason that you go, hey, can I have some money? And they go, what have you found so far? And you go, yeah, about that. Uh, not a lot. <laughs> Versus saying, we have a huge announcement. If you want to hear what it is, a little money. Yeah, yeah. It took several years for the court-appointed receiver to sell the island. In February of 2013, brothers Rick and Marty Lagina traveled to Oak Island to check out the dig sites and determine how they would proceed. They decided to buy a controlling interest in the island, along with several business partners. As a young boy, Rick Lagina had read the same Reader's Digest article that had also intrigued Dan Blankenship about treasure on Oak Island. He became so enamored with the idea that his interests rubbed off on his younger brother, Marty. Soon, the brothers became intent on becoming the ones who would find the treasure. Once the Laginas made it to the island, they struck up a friendship and working partnership with Dan and his son Dave. In 2019, the Laginas formed a consortium called the Michigan Group, alongside two other men who had been purchasing lots from the prior owners. Dan Blankenship still owned a stake alongside the Michigan Group until he passed away at age 95 in March of 2019. His son Dave still lives near the island and works with the Lagina brothers despite having suffered an accident that caused paralysis along one side of his body. Man, Dave is a character. He's also a... He's a hoss, man. He is a worker. They, I he's mean, a worker. He, he's also... Kind of mean. Yes, he's, he's got an attitude. A little, he sure does, and he he curses quite a bit in, in <laughs> opportune inopportune situations, like meetings with investors or uh, scientists and various things. He's like, "Well, you better have your shit together because I don't want you fucking this up." And it's like, let's pump the brakes, Dave. It's just he's very he's very uh, abrasive. He's passionate. He is. Pa- he's again a fine again, line between abrasion, between and a lunatic and passionate. <laughs> like he's aggressively shouting at people. He cares a lot, but also he grew up on this island with his yeah. father digging for for this treasure. So like that's been his literal entire life. So yeah, knows. you're going to be passionate about that, and also maybe a little lacking in the interpersonal skills, being <laughs> isolated. On an island with only people digging holes. Perhaps, perhaps. Rick and Marty, along with their business partners and crew, have become the stars of the History Channel series, The Curse of Oak Island. 
The passion the brothers share for the island and the possible treasures it's hold is undeniable, and they have spent millions of dollars in hopes of being the lucky finders. In season one of the now seven-season series, which premiered in 2014, the brothers' main objective was to once again get a human to the bottom of 10X to finally get some answers. After several failed attempts, the brothers are finally able to locate a skilled and brave enough diver to attempt the now treacherous 235-foot dive into a flooded hole. The dive is even more dangerous now, as over the years a large metal drill bar has become lodged in the 27-inch round pipe that the diver must swim through to reach the cavern. It's scary. It is scary. And this is where, again, those illustrations really help you visualize what's going on. Imagine a 27-inch diameter pipe and then a huge-ass metal rod is wedged in there, slanted in the pipe. So Mm -hmm. you can't – it's not just – it's already a tight squeeze to swim down there. But now a diver is going to have to wiggle through both up and down to get themselves and all their equipment around this this large-ass metal pipe. And I'm not 100%. I could fit in a 27-inch hole. I guess I probably could, although I'm bad at estimating widths. But I don't want to try. No, and he's get, I, yeah, I would Winnie the Pooh going down the honey hole. But <laughs> yeah. n- in addition, he's got a, a dive suit on and an air pack and harnesses. Yeah. And I mean, there's Tanks. just a lot of a, a lot of stuff that could get hung on a pipe sticking out. Yes, yes. They first they go through several divers before they find the one that is successful. And the first one, they set up kind of a test area in just regular waters of a pipe that is 26 inches because they figure if he can fit through this then the 27 Mm -hmm. is no problem on the bottom of of the ocean and he gets through it but man he's like that was tight Mm. but i'm also like what if he got stuck in the middle yeah i mean what do you do how do you how do you get in or out Hope that you have enough air for people to come down and rescue you, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's, you know, they got throw a rope down there or something. Well, I mean, even I mean, in the testing one. Oh, yeah. Because the testing one, he was just by himself and they're just standing God. on the dock watching him do this. And I'm like, you because it was probably a 10 foot pipe. You get halfway through that thing. You can't. You know what I mean? You can't Somebody's get either gotta, in or out. They have to come get you, I guess. God, I got, They probably had EMS or something standing by. Mm hmm. World-renowned diver John Chatterton, who has explored such impressive sites as the Titanic and the Andrea Doria, bravely descended into the almost zero-visibility shaft. Once reaching the cavern, Rick, Marty, and the crew were able to see what lies beneath via the camera on John's helmet. What they had thought for so long to be a wooden post was actually another metal drill bar that had fallen through the hole during one of the many excavations. There was also a large boulder, John believed was mistaken for a treasure chest. The image that looked like a shadowy body appeared to be a sinkhole in the floor of the cavern. This depression would cause shadows on a sonar, which could have been misinterpreted as a body. You're the diver. Oh, yeah, go ahead. If you're the diver and you get down there with that helmet on and you're like, there ain't shit down there, (laughs) would you just be so mad? I think he seemed so gung-ho and excited Mm -hmm. i mean that is what they live for is that's his whole job and to see things that no other human has laid eyes on before that's Mm -hmm. a a huge adrenaline rush i mean even with ben mcdaniel episode Mm -hmm. that was the the story time and time again of why people are willing to put themselves in those dangerous scenarios is to see stuff that like few have seen Mm -hmm. so i think the thrill of just getting down there and being in that environment 
was probably good enough for him. True. If you come across a treasure chest, hell yeah, that's going to make it way worth it. <laughs> way cooler. <laughs> You're like, well, there's a big ass rock. Uh, and a hole. An- yeah, and the thing that they had thought were wooden posts, and the wood would have been significant because that would have indicated it was man-made and, and there was possibly somebody had built that down there. He had a knife with him and just started, like, hitting the the mm-hmm. post, and it was clearly metal. You could see the mm-hmm. metal. So, and it looked just like the drill bit he had had to swim mm-hmm. past in the pipe on his way down. And it also tells them, too, like, it's... If you just send a camera down there, because I was like, well, you could send a camera. You may not still be able to tell that that was metal, not wood, versus a, a person touching it and can tell you, yeah, I banged into it. And That's why they were intent. The Lagini brothers were intent on getting human eyes down there. They said, mm-hmm. there's no way we can really know what's down there unless a human lays eyes on it. That being said, they <laughs> Rick still wasn't convinced that what he saw. <laughs> <laughs> it's really what he saw. Again, when you want so bad to believe something, it's hard to reconcile that what you've dedicated your entire life to is not coming to fruition. So mm-hmm. I, you're still going to be skeptical. If he had gone down there and said 100% saw a treasure chest, they would have had people down there the next day getting that mm-hmm. thing out, you know? It's true. It's a double-edged sword of the exploration because your heart wants it to be real so badly, mm-hmm. so you will go and touch it, and then when you touch it and it's fake, you kind of have to reject reality to yes. protect yourself. Exactly. Despite these disappointing findings, the brothers don't give up on their quest for the treasure. The History Channel series covers the continued exploration of the island and the brothers' dogged search. Although the brothers have been searching the island for many years with only a few findings, they have a simple explanation. The Lagina brothers are from Michigan's Upper Peninsula. People from that area are called Youpers. And as they told My North Magazine, We're Youpers and Youpers don't give up. Marty also summed it up on the show saying, Each person doesn't give up until they die or go bankrupt. Which seems to be the case with with most of these people. And it's this is not a poor man's uh, no. game. No. You can't just have a wish and a dream and go out there and hope you find this. I mean... They dump millions into this and buy huge bulldozers and all sorts of cat machines to to make this happen. I mean, I they bought the island, for Christ's sake. Yeah, that's true. They, they were able to buy that much land. And also just looking at the machinery, I've had to, like, I had to learn for oil and gas law, like, wh- how that stuff works when you go down and, like, suck the gas and st- the oil and stuff out. And just those machines, if you look, you know, any deals I've ever done, those are millions of dollars oh yeah depending on what the machine does and they just will call up and be like hey we want to blah 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 you know this kind of a dig machine and they bring it to the island i mean they have very good resources the episode where they go to the cat store (laughs) it's more than a store whatever that is and they walk in and marty straight up says to the sales guy this is like pornography for us yeah like seeing all of this and they're like well, I really like this bulldozer. Uh, mm-hmm. Rick really likes the backhoe. So we're going to take, and they buy like four or five machines mm-hmm. and then they just have them brought out there a few days later. Yeah, that's millions and millions of dollars you of know machinery. You, that sales guy's like, oh, yes. Oh, they're yeah. Back. Oh, that's uh, I mean, that's his commission for years and He's years. He's like, seeing you guys walk in is porn for me. <laughs> exactly. And everyone's just hard as a rock in that, in that, <laughs> that meeting. Well, although small discoveries have been made all over the island, there are three main areas that have been searched and excavated. The first, known as the Money Pit, 
is the original area where Daniel McGuinness began digging way back in 1795. This is the area where Dan Blankenship and the Lagina brothers have mostly focused their efforts. The second is Nolan's Cross, named for Fred Nolan, the man whose theory started the digging in that spot. He lives on the island in a house near the cross that bears his name. In 1981, Fred Nolan noticed five large cone-shaped boulders on his property. When he measured the distance between them, he found that the distance between two boulders at a length of 867 feet crossed perfectly with the distance between two others at a length of 720 feet. The boulder in the middle of the cross, directly where the lines met, was no ordinary rock. It vaguely seemed to resemble the face of a person. No digs beneath the cross have yielded results, but hunters generally consider the cross itself to be a clue, perhaps a clue to objects hidden beneath other parts of the island. I was just say, just the satellite image of it is, it's clearly a purposefully made cross. It looks like it. It does. It would be almost impossible for those to just be laid out that strategically. The um, one that looks like a face, again, I think some liberties were taken on. I want this to look like a face because they show it on the show and they're like, clearly this is man-made and this has been carved. You can see here that it's been carved and here's the chin and here's the nose. You're like, if you want it to be a face, it could be a face, but it also mm-hmm. just kind of looks like a boulder. That's like whenever I was shopping for a house and you were going with me on the tours and we saw that tree and I was like, and you go, hey, look, this tree looks like a butt. <laughs> And it did. (laughs) But I don't think you could be like a person. This is tree art that someone carved an ass into this tree. But what if they did? That (laughs) would be fantastic. It was a perfect ass. It was beautiful. (laughs) It was like, if that ass had a G-string on, I would put money into it. I mean, it was (laughs) beautiful. My life's work is to get the perfect (laughs) ass on this tree. And then for one day, someone to just gaze upon it in the backyard as they enjoy a family barbecue. And you said, no, thank you. I do not want this home. Uh, That was the house that was haunted. (laughs) That house was haunted. See, it probably was the ass of the person that died there. (laughs) They're trying to like that tree. (laughs) Make their way out of the tree ass first. Once partners, Nolan and Blankenship eventually became enemies after a falling out over business. However, in season one of the History Channel series, Rick Lagina is finally able to squash the long-held feud. Nolan and the Laginas now work together toward a common goal. Look at that healing. He did. He is, he is a very sincere person in that he he really believes everything he's doing and wants to uphold like the history of the island and and he even says he wants to heal the island. And mm-hmm. it, like, he, I mean, it's they never reference wives in the show. Mm-hmm. One of the, Marty has a kid that's on the or he's he's an adult, but he, on the show quite a bit. But I don't know if they ever married. I mean, it's almost like they're married to this this dream and, and the island. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell that he I mean, like, I'm not going to say Marty's like. Not into. I mean, he clearly loves it. He gets a lot of, of excitement out of the actual like digging part. And He's very like, science minded. Yeah, and I feel like Rick gets more excited about like the lore of it, and yes. then also like the human element and like the Blankenships. And like, my question would be when. So let's say that they do find it. Would Dave Blankenship and this Nolan guy go? Oh well, we helped you X percent. We're entitled to this percentage of the money. I wondered that too. There's got to be some contracts written mm-hmm. that say if if we find something, how how this goes down, how it'll get split. Yeah, yeah. Well, until re- until you know, 2014, Fred Nolan had 
no trespassing keep out signs all over his lot that he owned Mm -hmm. and or several lots and they couldn't search there at all Mm -hmm. and some hunters believed the treasure was located on nolan's property Mm. and lagina was like we got to just make amends with him and and work together towards finding this and he's fred nolan is also in his 90s and he even says you know i'm too old to do anything about this now i just want this mystery to be solved mm-hmm. here here's everything i've found immaculate gigantic maps of of the entire island that he's worked on for i mean it's beyond impressive but so now they all work together and um it's nice to see that there's no enemies on the island now because that's yeah, a small it, island to have an enemy on. <laughs> it's true. And also it's futile because say you get so far into the money pit and you go, oh, well, we actually see that there's an atta- not an attachment, but there's a cavern that leads over under Nolan's land. I mean, you're never going to, you know, or vice versa. He yeah. owns a little bitty part and all the shit's under the money pit. Like you're not going to get any without sharing and helping. Yep, exactly. It takes a village or an <laughs> island in this it takes case. takes an island to dig mm-hmm. a treasure. The third area frequently searched and excavated is an area known as Smith's Cove, a rocky beach located about 500 feet from 10X. But Smith's Cove is not a regular beach. Treasure seekers have discovered it is actually a U-shaped structure meant to look like a beach. This fake beach, the theory goes, hides the five finger-like drains that draw water from the ocean and make up an integral part of the flood trap mechanism of the money pit. So they show, again, in illustrations and stuff, how how these would be done. And like you said, it clearly looks Mm man-made. And I think it was man-made for the purpose of irrigation or of Mm. something from people that once lived there. That's my theory with these. Or you wonder, like, did they, did somebody put those in thinking, oh, well, I'll drain the money out of, or not the money, I'll drain the water out of the money pit. And they, it just goes the wrong way. I don't know. Could be. Inside that drain structure, searchers have continuously made discoveries, even as recent as 2019. Hunters have been drawn to this third area because coconut fiber, the same that made the mats in the money pit area, were found. The coconut fiber is an indication that the structures were all man-made, as the fiber is not native to the terrain. That's an interesting point. Yeah, it makes sense that if it if pirates were sailing up from the Caribbean or from somewhere where their coconuts were plentiful mm-hmm. and they had these mats, that's not gonna you're not gonna find coconuts in Nova Scotia. Nope. One difficult part of the current day search is that some of the structures have been built by previous search teams. The Lagina brothers have run into several of these, including shafts, that go deep into the earth. Some of them are useful, while others are filled with debris or water and cause confusion during current day searches. When current day searchers dig, they sometimes come up on structures that they believe were put there by the original depositors. But upon further investigation, many times they discover they were actually built by prior searchers. When they see this at Smith's Cove, they're like, oh, we've found this piece of wood and it's packed in with clay. And then they chip off a piece of the wood and do a test on it. And they're like, it's 100 years old. Yeah. Well, shit. Not old enough. Nope. The Laginas and their team have made several discoveries in their excavation of the island. Near the middle of the island, the team found a rhodolite garnet, a four to five hundred year old stone that they believe was dropped by the original depositors on their way to burying the treasure. Rhodolite garnets were used as far back as the Egyptian pharaohs and are generally mined in countries in and around Africa. An expert determined that based on its properties, its cutting, and the percentage of copper in the silver setting, the stone was approximately five hundred years old. 
So they have found stuff. They found some stuff. Yeah, I yeah. haven't I haven't seen this episode, but I imagine that it was very exciting for them. It was exciting. And the stone is a it looks like a ruby. And it's initially they're like, oh, my gosh, it's a ruby set in gold. But really, it's a ruby set in silver with a ton of copper in it. And so it started to patina. And the gemologist person is like, oh, that's actually good because it tells you that they know based on the centuries, like when the amount of copper in silver and how much it was in there and how much it changed. And like based on the percentage, we can tell you it's X amount of years old. And then the garnet was like cut in a like hand cut in a really specific way. And so they're like, well, we can tell you based on, you know, so it's it is a exciting moment for everybody because sure. it's not like they found, you know, a necklace from you know Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. You know, it's a legitimate old artifact. Yeah. Garnet is also my birthstone. Hey. What's your birthstone? It's like orange. Orange. Citrine? Maybe. Let me That's see. That's a crystal. It is October birthstone is opal. Wait, oh, is it? Opal's opal's like white and sparkly. I don't know why I thought it was orange. Tourmaline? Opal. Oh. Opal's pretty. Yeah, they're both really pretty. Oh, there you go. I didn't even know. I thought it was something that was orange. Maybe. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe uh, pumpkins, because your birthday is <laughs> around Halloween. <laughs> your birthstone? Your birth, birth gourd? Pumpkin. Yeah, what's your birth gourd? <laughs> My birth gourd is a spaghetti squash. What about you? Eggplant. Mine, I guess mine would be... Um, Gosh, I don't know what's what's in January. There's not a lot of gourds in a January. Winter, you need a winter, a winter gourd. gourd. <laughs> yes, a winter gourd. It's a winter gourd. The team also found an iron cross that was from the 13th century or older. Its design was similar to crosses from European prisons and architecture from that era. A map discovered in the Oak Island archives dating back to 1647 mentioned the Rochefoucauld family, a French family with connections to the Knights Templar. An author assisted the Lagina team in translating the map, which indicated there are several areas of buried treasure on Oak Island. A ship's log transcription from the 1600s confirmed that a treasure shaft was built on the island. A member of the Lagina team discovered the transcription in his research. Once deciphered, the log included a description of building a shaft to hide a treasure, a description that was too similar to the money pit to be a coincidence. A man on board the ship was named Jean-Baptiste Louis de Rochefoucauld. He was a member of the same French family referenced on the older map. The Laguna's team speculated that the Rochefoucauld family was involved in the Knights Templar and the related Freemasons, which ties to one of the many theories of the source of the treasure. They get very excited about this in one of the seasons. Oh, I imagine. I'm I talking imagine to the, the author and they have this like historian guy, which people on the Internet kind of roasted, who had these theories that it was like the Knights Templar, who maybe they probably knew Thomas Jefferson. So he was probably on the island. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? There's a lot of leaps this guy makes. There's a lot of theories in the season I'm watching right now. There's no shortage of theories. Everything mm -hmm. from the Aztec Empire to Shakespeare to pirates to the Freemasons. Everyone's got their own beliefs of, of what happened. And you know what? Who's to say who's right and who's exactly. wrong? <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I then, mean, the thing is, is they come up with these actual legitimate pieces of evidence, right? That's yeah. the rhodolite garnet is a legitimate thing that they found. And then the interpretation is, oh, it was from Marie Antoinette or, oh, it was from the Aztec right. Empire. You know, so it's uh, always the devil's in the details. It's always in yes. like, the interpretation of what the map means. There's some science 
But then, based on that science, a lot of assumptions and leaps are made. A lot of leaps. Yeah, a lot of leaps, a lot of leaps. A more recent project has been to dig out the Smith's Cove Beach area in order to discover the flood tunnel convergence point. The Lagina team hopes to find the spot where the ocean water is being let into the tunnels so they can stop the flood trap. They discovered chunks of clay packed on top of wooden boards that comprise the walls of the drain tunnels. The issue, again, is that the men are able to determine whether the tunnels were dug by the initial depositors or whether they were made by searchers centuries ago who were hoping to stop the flood trap in their own way. Nevertheless, the Lagina brothers continue their search. Rick is a retired postal service worker who devotes himself full-time to the study of the Oak Island Mysteries. Marty is an engineer and has worked in the energy business for 40 years. He continues his lucrative career, even as he takes a few weeks each year to help his brother dig on the island. He even started a company that drills oil and gas wells and leverages that knowledge to search Oak Island. He also owns a successful winery and is a producer of the History Channel show in which he stars. All in all, he has an estimated net worth of $100 million, according to CheatSheet.com. Yeah, the My North magazine, when they go to interview him, they talk about how massive his house is in Michigan and everything. So they're not, at least Marty is not hurting for money as far as just buy that, just buy that tractor, buy that drilling. And then he brings stuff in from his own company. And if he's used a piece of machinery successfully to say frack and dig out some uh, or, you know, and suck out some oil, he'll just go, yeah, we'll use that same. Let's go use that for the island. Like we'll pump the water out and use it for the island. Yeah, he's, again, this is not a poor man's game. So it makes sense that in order to fund a project like this, you're going to have to have a ton of money. And his business partner, who he works with in Michigan in his business, is also one of the uh, partners in Oak Island as well. And together, they basically fund the entire thing. Mm -hmm. What I like about this, though, Rick is a retired postal service worker. His net worth is also now that he's been doing the show, around $2 million. But his brother is using his wealth to basically fund his brother's dream. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's and true. Rick is very, when he, he even writes this, in one episode, they have this, um, oh, what is it called when you, a time capsule. Mm. They, they, they put things in this time capsule to bury at the commemorative, uh, plaque that has all the people's names that have died and he has written this letter and he's just very emotional and and is sobbing throughout reading it and it's he's saying like thank you so much to my brother for doing this for me this has been my dream and he says this isn't even about finding the treasure we we did this because we wanted to do something fun together and spend time together and i cherish this time and he says that a lot that he what he gets most out of this is the memories he's making and that he's doing something like so uh, something he and his brother have dreamed about since they were little boys and now they're doing it. And that's that's awesome. Yeah. Few people it, can say they they do that. They're, they've clearly been best friends since they were kids. Yeah, and yes. it's, it's very cute to watch them get when they do, you know, when the narrator's like, could it be the final? They're so excited. Oh, about huge anything. eyes, like just, yeah, oh, leaning in. I mean, they you, their ears and eyes perk up for sure. Together, the brothers have invested millions of dollars in the search, but expect to recoup it when they finally find the treasure. They are only able to dig on the island for a certain period of time as the harsh weather conditions prevent them from continuing on through the winter. It is clear, though, the search means much more to the brothers than just financial gain. 
It is a way for them to bond and have fun living out their childhood dreams. Yeah, because if it was purely financial, you would have to do an, a, an analysis and go, okay, well, it, say there's $50 million and we've spent $100 million or yeah. whatever. You know, say there's $2 million and we've spent 10 This is a bad investment, but it's a passion project. It, exactly. And who's, how does anyone know if it's you're going to find a million dollars worth of gold or a uh, billion dollars worth of gold? But at some point, like you said, it's it's not you can't even really put pen to paper on the numbers because you don't know what the numbers are to know if mm-hmm. you're making a good investment or not. So you just mm-hmm. kind of have to have blind faith and be like, well, even if we find nothing, we've spent this time together and and have been doing something we're passionate about. And that's quite an amazing life to live. The real treasure was the brotherhood they found along the way. <laughs> the, the real treasure was a journey along the way. Yep. Well, assuming there is treasure buried on the island, one major question is who put it there and why? There are several theories as to the source of the treasure. The first theory is that the money belongs to the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar was a military order that fought to protect the interests of Christians during the Crusades. The Templars grew wealthy and eventually, King Philip, ruler of the time, found himself deeply indebted to the order. So that he could wipe out his own debt, King Philip had the order falsely charged with heresy so that he could forcibly disband the group. I wish I could do that with all my student loan things. You guys are all, you're guilty of heresy and all my debts are gone. <laughs> Thank you. Right? You got to become a king, I guess, to, Step one. to have that power. On Friday the 13th in 1307, the Knights Templar members found themselves being arrested and executed by the crown. The knights who managed to get away before being captured were supposed to have loaded up all the order's treasures that were obtained during the Crusades and set sail for the New World to save their lives and their gold. It is this fortune and treasure that many believe lies beneath the surface of Oak Island, a treasure that possibly includes the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. The people on the ship making the crusade are believed to be the Rochefoucauld family, whose names appeared on the ancient documents the Lagina team has found. I mean, it would be the Templars and the Freemasons. That's a whole that's a crazy story. Yeah, I went down a, a couple of rabbit holes of like secret orders and stuff like that. So that we may have to do some episodes on episodes oh, on those because yeah. there's a, there was plenty to read. They're, they're fascinating for sure. Yeah. The second theory is that it is Captain Kidd's treasure. There was speculation as early as the 1700s. The treasure beneath the island belonged to William Kidd, a notorious pirate who was tried and executed for piracy. Legends of Captain Kidd's buried treasure were memorialized in song all the way back to 1701, including lyrics that boasted of Kidd's 200 bars of gold and Rick's dollars manifold. The specific pieces that Kidd allegedly buried deep within Oak Island are rumored to be jewels from Marie Antoinette, the last queen of France before the French Revolution, along with other one-of-a-kind pieces, like some of Shakespeare's original manuscripts and a trove of gold and jewels. Rick Lagina calls the possibility that Shakespeare's original manuscripts are buried on the island. Credible. That's well, a, that would that'd be something. 
That I mean, it's funny because Captain Kidd sounds like a children's television if you <laughs> didn't know that he was a pirate. But I think that kind of answers for the what, what's the whole point of burying the treasure if you don't come back for it? I mean, they executed him, so he probably had plans to go back for it. That's if true. It is yeah. pirate treasure, uh, but the whole execution thing got in the way. Um, I, I understand burying it with the intent to go back and then you're killed or whatever and mm-hmm. you can't go back. What baffles my mind is the links of burying mm-hmm. that they have supposedly gone to. It seems overkill. It's, yeah. It's very – and to have such limited re- – I mean, they're using million-dollar cat machines to dig down into Earth to find this stuff. How are these pirates with such limited tools and resources able to do all of this? It's a man and a shovel and a dream. <laughs> That's all it takes, I it's guess. the only way. <laughs> During the Seven Years' War, the British took a number of treasure, gold and riches, from Cuba. There is a theory that to safeguard this newfound treasure, the Crown instructed soldiers to hide the loot under the ground in Nova Scotia. The area was being settled in connection with the end of the war, and some believe this would be the perfect place, as it would be safe beneath the feet of those loyal to the crown. Which that makes sense, and but again, successive amounts of hiding. If the, yeah, the crown was just waiting the whole, for the Cuba thing to blow over, they're like, we'll just hide of, it for a minute. All of it, uh, that's my hang up with, with every theory. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not married to any of the theories, because I can't get past the excruciating links to which any of these people would have gone to have buried something Mm -hmm. if they had the intent to go back to get it. If you didn't, and it was like we talked about, it's just the Ark of the Covenant, we just want to preserve it, and then it's no one's ever going to see it again, that makes more sense. You know what's down there? Declaration of Independence. You need Nicolas Cage. He'll go down there. This should be oh, one of the, like, the new Dan Brown. They should have contacted Nick Cage. Yeah, or Tom Hanks and, uh, what is it, Angels and Demons, and what was the other yep. one? It was like the famous one. Angels and Demons was the second one, wasn't it? I think so. What was so. the first one Dan Brown wrote? I can't remember. Oh, that was a good book. I remember when that first came out, and I was very into it. It was all about the Freemasons and secret societies. Because he was like very, very famous for writing uh, Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code, that's it. What's yeah. her name? Angela. I would bring the Da Vinci Code so I could burn the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Dan, Dan Brown needs to write a sequel about the them mm. coming back for their Oak Island treasure. Yeah. What's he doing? He's got time right now. Mm. Everybody probably does. Writing. He's probably write writing a, books. Write, write something. He's probably doing a master class. That's what everybody's doing right now. <laughs> Another theory is that the treasure was put there by Rosicrucians. Rosicrucianism was a spiritual movement in Europe similar to Freemasonry, that promoted seeking knowledge. Several manifestos were published, and Europeans were excited about the prospect of a secret society. Sir Francis Bacon, an English chancellor and philosopher, has been linked to the Rosicutians and the Freemasons by scholars and authors, although his major biographers dispute this connection. Bacon was instrumental in settling the North American colonies and Canada, so he had plenty of reason to travel to the Oak Island area. Others believe that Bacon was the true author of Shakespeare's works, which connects the idea that the original manuscripts are also hidden on the island. You feel bad for Shakespeare because there's a lot of theories that it was either Christopher Marlowe wrote his stuff or Francis Bacon wrote it or it was another ghostwriter and that they're like, Shakespeare never wrote all that. It's kind of hurtful. It is hurtful. Yeah. And meanwhile, he's like, no, I did. Thanks, guys. He's getting Millie Vanilli. <laughs> <laughs> It is also possible that the treasure has already been found. 
Some say that the original discoverers of the strange spot, Daniel McGinnis and his family, actually did unearth the treasure. They reportedly found the treasure right away, but hid it and wanted to keep it quiet. They kept up the ruse of hunting so that no one would suspect that they were now richer than their wildest dreams. But the McGinnis family didn't dig alone. The Vaughn and Smith families also assisted in the initial dig. Of the original families that started the dig, all three ended up with larger swaths of land in a quick amount of time, quicker than would be expected of a family of their means at that time. According to treasure enthusiasts on Reddit, an 1864 newspaper article described the discovery of a box of gold coins on an island adjacent to Nova Scotia on a piece of land that was previously owned by Daniel Vaughn, a member of one of the three original search families. The box contained English coins dating a hundred years prior that would be worth some $30 million at today's gold prices. McGinnis family members interviewed on the History Channel also showed off a gold cross supposedly obtained from the booty Daniel discovered and told the Lagina brothers that the stories they grew up hearing said that McGinnis, Vaughn, and Smith each discovered a treasure chest and made off with their loot. That would make sense. And then if they kept up the lie, no one would think to ask. And, you know, if you... You just spend a little bit at a time, you know, if you're going out blowing it all on, you know, buying a whole island or something. If but you're good fellasing it. <laughs> you can't do that. You got to you just got to. Yeah, that's how they get you. That's how they know that you, that you you've made it big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this would this would make sense. And the episode where the three sisters that are descendants of Daniel McGinnis come to the island and it's very neat because they get to see like where their ancestors once uh, roamed and and put these put a visual to all these stories they grew up hearing but they have this little gold cross they bring with them and show to them and it looks very old and they say it's been handed down after generation of generation of their family again is that true i don't know mm-hmm. it's a tale that gets handed down generation after generation and things can take on a life of their own at some point it's true i mean every family even small tales get twisted and changed and you know your parents tell you something and the more they tell you the you know you hear them tell a story to one friend and then the next friend and then and it's just the fish gets bigger and bigger in each telling Mm -hmm. so you know this cross may have been like this was your grandma's then it was your great grandma's then it was your great 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 grandma's and then it was like they found it in the 1700s you know so (laughs) yeah it just goes way back but uh, i mean that would be uh I would be pissed as a descendant if we weren't just fabulously wealthy. It was like, you fuckers blow all this money. You found $30 million. How right. did you spend $30 million? Yeah. I want more than a necklace. Yes. And then, of course, there is the possibility that the treasure simply doesn't exist and that the money pit and other areas on the island are simply naturally occurring sinkholes with no man-made elements. Discoveries such as planks and wood are nothing more than debris that has floated down into the pits confusing searchers and giving them false belief that the holes were man-made. Some believe that the planks found in the money pit are actually from a Viking shipwreck turned on its side and that the wood is the backs of where the rowers would have sat. This theory goes that there has never been a treasure and any artifacts found on the island are simply from settlers who lived there, not some type of clue to a deeper mystery. Well, that's Viking the shipwreck, saddest. that makes sense. It's true, but this this theory is the saddest theory for the Lagina brothers. <laughs> That your whole oh, life sure. has been a waste. Sure. Well, in a waste if your goal is to find the treasure. But like True. we said, they are getting to spend time together and and do fun stuff. I mean, they they say all the time, like, let's go have some fun. Mm-hmm. They love driving those big ass machines and everything and digging stuff up. I mean, it's a passion for them. Mm-hmm. So 
for their mental sake, I hope that, <laughs> that this isn't the case. Yes. But, you know, I mean, I think it's one of those things you'll never really know. Yeah. And uh, hopefully for them, they find something. But again, like we said, it's a double edged sword because when they find it, then their their quest is over. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, but I, knowing them, they'd find one box and go, well, there's probably more boxes. Yeah, Let's keep it. Sure. I mean, they're not going to be happy till the all the land is gone. I was thinking about that. Like, what if they do dig down into some cavern and there's the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant? Like, what do you do at that point? Yeah, who I do guess you call? I call a museum. I don't even know what you would do. I mean, it's going to be on film, most likely. <laughs> it's so. true. You can't just take it back to your garage. But then, I mean, are you like, okay, we found it? Or like 100% what they would do is, well, if this is here, you know there's got to be other yep. stuff too. Because I guess in that way, the search never ends. Correct. They can I, always be searching. So that's, I guess, how that carrot keeps getting dangled. There'll, there'll always be more, I think. And mm-hmm, then, like you mm-hmm. said, oh, if this great thing is just imagine what's hiding beneath it, you know? Yep. They're not going to hit hot lava before they quit. <laughs> Yeah. No matter the theory, Rick, Marty, and their business partners firmly believe that treasure is buried on Oak Island. Furthermore, they intend on doing whatever it takes to find it. In an interview with the Traverse City Record Eagle newspaper, Marty said, I think there's something extremely intriguing about Oak Island. However it works its magic or its curse, depending on how you look at it, it has captivated people for 225 years now. Smart people, wealthy people, and it captures them for life. To the History Channel, Rick Lagina quoted his longtime mentor, Dan Blankenship, saying, Keep your eyes open on Oak Island. Well, you have to, or you'll just walk right into the ocean. <laughs> or you'll fall into you'll a pit. fall into a hole. A shaft <laughs> or a pit, or God knows what's on there. So what do we think? What do you, What's your theory? Well, I think that there, at some point, was something buried. I think that it's more likely that someone found it... Uh, like the McGinnis and the Vaughn family, or there's another theory that a former slave, a freed slave named Samuel Ball went up there and because mm-hmm. he overpaid for this, like he had uh, an inkling that there was treasure and he overpaid for this swath of land and then later was found like paying for things with old Spanish doubloons and stuff like that. And so I think it, it was found a long time ago that there was there's enough evidence, I think, of man-made structures that... There once was something, but I think it makes sense if the initial families spent that much time, dug it all up, and then ended up going and buying land somewhere, and then, you know, they f- they were found with a shitload of gold at some point that it's already been found, but that people didn't want to believe it. You know, if you didn't have evidence of them going Charlie and the Char- Char- or Willy Wonka style of like, I got the golden ticket, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, if they didn't say something to the newspaper, there's that hope, there's that carrot that the people can still kind of chase or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think it was probably found a long time ago. But I mean, it's there's no, not to say there's not more down there. Either that or it's the devil in a box and the Knights Templar <laughs> don't want us to get to it. <laughs> Do you think that the the flooding is actual booby traps built by someone to prevent from getting to the treasure or that it's just natural occurrences because of the topography and makeup of the land. It is. I think that it's built for a reason, but I, I wonder if at some point 
the fresh water was flooding these holes where the stuff was buried and someone goes, oh, well, if we can build these drains, the water will drain out and into the ocean, I guess not realizing, you know, the force of the ocean. And now they've sort of caused the flood traps in trying to drain the water out just because other holes when they drill it, it's fresh water and these specifically are salt water as we saw Rick slurping it. Mm. Um, so there's some somebody messed with something that crossed the wires that got the salt water into those holes. Yeah, I think that they were built, but I also don't think they were built with the intention to be a booby trap. I think that yeah. perhaps they were indigenous people that were living there built it as a way to just be a, a natural irrigation and drainage system for the mm-hmm. island. Um, in that... The area, Smith's Cove, there's that coconut fiber, which apparently is a natural absorbent. Mm. So if settlers knew this, they could have laid that down to act as kind of an absorbent quality. If maybe it was like swampy or something and they're like, well, if we build these drains, it'll suck the water down into the ocean. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that there was something there, uh, but I think that the original families got a hold of it. Yeah. I think that if if there was something there... That has probably already been found, but there might be little trinkets that got left behind. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that garnet was proof of, of that, and they found some other things as well. They found coins and stuff, too, just yeah. with metal detectors. So it's fun for them and others to kind of have this carrot dangling out there that you have something to look forward to. And it's it's fun for them and, you know. Go for it. Or we'll eat our words in, you know, a year or two whenever they dig it out and it really is the Ark of the Covenant or whatever. That would be amazing. Yeah. I I can't even imagine if something like that was found. I hope for them that they find something badass because they deserve it. You know what I mean? It's somebody, it's their full childhood dream. And yeah, I mean, that would just be the the period at the end of the sentence. But Mm -hmm. well, we'll see. Let us know what you guys think. If there's treasure on the island, if you think it's already been found, or if you think the devil in the box still <laughs> lies beneath. The devil and in the box. Honestly, if that's the case, we all should put our shovels down. Yeah. Nobody should be tempting fate like that. Exactly. Stop trying to... If he's in the box and you're bonking on him with a <laughs> oil rig, he's going to be pissed off. That's when why everything's fun. flooding. He's just like, oh, <laughs> like, it's just anger is causing the seas to churn. <laughs> it's true. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content like our weekly mix bags where we share three of our favorite things for the week. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner. And don't miss our brand new Donna Laser and the Meat Warlock shirt, which Christy is wearing beautifully right now. I'm currently wearing it. It's very comfortable. Today, Ella said, what's that? And pointed at, and I said, it's a Meat Warlock. And she goes, (laughs) 
it's a witch. And I was like, <laughs> a warlock is a male witch. You're correct. You are correct, my child. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and also for the month of April, 100% of profits from merch sales will go to the World Health Organization COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the computer? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I'm on Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Uh, keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for sticking around. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Rita Shelton. Jamie Parshall. Sherry Ziegler. Grace Thompson. Jenna Gershak. Brittany Bass. Jessica. Laura Skinner. Katerina Kniff. Sarah Hickey. Danielle Callahan. Sasha Balick. Catherine Parmer. Carrie Trevino, Meg Gregory, Gabrielle Brett, Amaya Whitworth, Gray Winter, Luke Hudak, Katie Mosleski, Speak a Doll, Devin Fliss, Carrie Morales, Rachel, Anna Veland, Susie Stevens, Janet Shepard, Adriana Galvin, Lacey Grindle, Scotty Burke, Devin Prothero, Sally, Jennifer Sanchez, Natasha Walsh, Mallory Escobar, Kelsey Jackson, Esperanza Clinton, Amy W., Gina N. Cornell, Amber Salazar, Caitlin M. O'Sullivan, Lucy Took, Katie Gunterberg, Alyssa DeGrandis, Caitlin Kennedy. Thanks so much for supporting the show on Patreon. We could not do it without your assistance. We appreciate you to the bottoms of our hearts. And to the bottoms of Oak Island. Thank you so much, guys, for listening and supporting the show. Stay safe and healthy and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. Sinister. Hood.